0: Dawson and welcome to My Classic Soul, the podcast dedicated to the best soul and r and B music throughout the decades. In our latest episode, soulmusic.com founder David Nathan is joined by longtime soulmusic.com colleague and music industry veteran Michael Lewis. Michael has worked with a number of major record labels including The Face, Motown and Sony Music. Today they talk about the classic 1980 album Give Me the Night by the iconic George Benson. David and Michael share about how the Quincy Jones produced LP took George's global career to new heights with hits like the memorable title cut and Love's Time's Love. A dance floor classic as well as showcasing George's appeal as a multifaceted vocalist and guitarist with tunes like Moody's Mood for Love and Off Broadway. Without further ado, let's join David and Michael to talk George Benson.
1: I'm Michael.
2: Hey David, how are you?
1: I'm good, and you? I'm doing well. Excellent. Today we're going to talk about an album uh, that I think uh, most people who know the world of R&B, soul, and jazz would say um, was a seminal moment in the career of the iconic George Benson.
2: I would think so. Give me the night.
1: Correct. And um, so let's just let's just go right into it. Let's talk about Give Me the Night. Let's start, actually, since I know this is an album we both agreed to talk about. And it's an album that you specifically zeroed in on. So what is it about this album that uh, has it be something that that we really want to have a conversation about?
2: Uh, I think it's probably one of um, uh, it's, it's a it's a seminal moment in George Benson's career as he evolved from uh, primarily a jazz guitarist uh, into um, uh, more into his vocal stylings um, and and guitar at the same time uh, I think it, uh, working with Quincy Jones and on the production uh, he was able to really give him a well-rounded full plate of uh, uh, musical experience with the musicians that he brought in, the uh, the vocalists, the songwriting—it's just a complete package, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Had you been listening to George Benson prior to uh, this album?
2: Yeah, yeah, I was a big, I was a big fan of, of George Benson um, for, for years. I mean, I heard him a lot. Uh, I grew up in a, a house where my father listened to a lot of jazz, so and uh, people like Wes Montgomery and George Benson were on his regular playlists from you know the the since the late 60s early 70s uh and then of course before that there was um breezing breezing uh, and uh this masquerade and uh, and i played the the live uh, george Benson album which came out a couple of years before this quite a bit also hmm. so yeah i was well well versed in george Benson before this i had seen him in concert several times um then um, during those wonderful summer concert series in Los Angeles at the outdoor amphitheaters, at the Greek Theater and Universal. So, yeah, I was a, I was a big George Mason fan when this record came out already.
1: Well, I have to confess this is an opportunity. I have to confess that I was not uh, as aware of his um, history, um, really, until uh, Breezin'. I had seen his name. Uh, I remember he had recorded for A&M. Um, I think I wasn't even aware that he recorded for Columbia Records before that. So I actually didn't know much about him, and and that segues into my really only George Benson story, Uh, (laughs) because since we're talking about his history, as we move on to moving up to uh, Give Me the Night. So um, in February of 1976, uh, Warner Brothers Records um, decided to stage a show at the Beacon Theatre in New York, and it was called "The Orange Meets the Apple." Warner Brothers were on a mission to really establish themselves as a force in the R&B soul uh, fields. In particular, mm-hmm. uh, they were known, of course, prior to that, from many many different uh, other genres. You know, in fact, you know, if you think about other artists that were signed to. Warner Brothers and Reprise back in the 60s and and, and early 70s. You're thinking about people from Frank Sinatra Mm -hmm. to Joni Mitchell and so on. I mean, it was just a really diverse roster. And it wasn't heavily focused in the world of black music, one could say. Mm -hmm. So there was a a man named Tom Draper who said, you know, he was the the head of black music uh, at Warner Brothers and he was determined that uh, that the label would really create a presence, as I said. So some of the signings at the time were Ashford and Simpson, Dion Warwick, who, of course, at that time um, had had left Scepter Records, and this was a big deal for her to be on uh, on Warner Brothers. Uh, and then there were some others. Staple Singers came through Curtom and uh, Curtis Mayfield. It was a whole array, Al Jarreau, a whole array of great artists, so about four nights of performances at the Beacon Theater was absolutely astonishing I wish they had recorded it but they didn't as a part of that um Warner Brothers uh flew me from at that time living for six months in Los Angeles to New York and uh put everybody up at the Waldorf Astoria Mm -hmm. I mean that was like wow yeah and it was a big deal I mean it's a big deal I mean lots of uh, interviews and so on. So my George Benson story is simple, simply this. I'm waiting to do some interviews with some of the artists, you know, and say, okay, it's time to do your interview with Nick and Val. Now it's time to do your interview with Curtis or whoever it was. And I'm just standing there waiting in this little kind of lobby area where all the, the, the interviews are taking place in different rooms. And um, this guy was just standing on the side and, look he was kind of like looking very nonchalant and uh, so I just said hello how are you in my very then British accent <laughs> I said he said i fine I said my name's David he said I said what's your name he said George I said oh nice to meet you George I said you know I'm here to um you know do these interviews for this magazine in, in England called Blues and so he said oh okay and um he said oh, yeah I just I just signed to Warner Brothers and I didn't ask I didn't ask him his last name I said oh, okay okay so yeah I have, I have a, a record coming out soon I said oh, well I guess I'll be interviewing you there at some point no idea who it was wow. no clue because I never I don't think I'd even see a photograph of what he looked like and he was very amiable very you know chatty and, and no not like no thing I'm George Bether was like I said oh, okay and then sure enough um literally within a couple of months of that very brief conversation, here came, here came breezing. Oh, yeah. And I looked at the cover, I'm like, oh, that was this George guy. <laughs> so, and that's as much as I have as, a, as an anecdote to share with you about George Benson, uh, other than to say that he was very, um, he was, I'd say he was very, was, was very kind of, what we call that, very cool, very... Um, yeah, just like hey, how are you? Pleasant, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea I was talking to a future legend, mm-hmm. so let's no. go from Breezy. Let's talk a little bit about Breezy and how that, in a sense, set up uh the albums that follow it and, and then moving to Give Me the Night. All oh, right, so right. What, what do you remember about Breezy?
2: Um, well, of course, the, the title track which was um, written by uh, Bobby Womack. Um, funny, the, uh, that was our last conversation. Um, Rufus and Shaka doing the Bobby Womack song, but yeah, Breezin' was written by Bobby Womack. Um, uh, that record also had, uh, This Masquerade was, I think, probably the first time that people really heard George Benson sing like that, that everybody realized that this man really had some good, some vocal chops going on. You know, as far as I, as, as far as I remember, um, that was probably his uh, strongest vocal performance up to that point, you know. So, yeah, that kind of set the stage for what happened with um, when Gimme Give Give me the Night came out. Hmm.
1: You know, it's funny. I remember when I did hear, when I heard this masquerade, I, he, he reminded me vocally. And I, I know that at the time, you know, people would ask him this, of Donny Hathaway. Uh, I don't know why with something in his voice.
2: Oh, tonally, tonally, probably. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things that Quincy really wanted to um, emphasize uh, in producing "Breezing," uh, I mean, I'm producing uh, Give Me the Night, was to really, really bring George out as a vocalist. Um, and, you know, straight up from the first track, Love Times Love. I mean, he comes out just like, just so easy and uh effortlessly the way that he delivers um the, the lyrics you know which is pretty probably one of the one of the sweetest love songs ever you know um i, I really love that song it's, it, and it says uh talking to people that's the song that when when i mention, when you mention give me the night people say oh yeah love times love you know that that's the song that really clicks with people you know um and uh, of course that was written by Rod Temperton and it was during the the whole time, um, uh, right after um, "Off the Wall," and after uh, they had done Quincy had produced uh, Rufus and Rod. Tipperton wrote some of those songs on "Master Jam" also. So Rod was one of Quincy's um, most valuable players in that time period late se- late seventies, early eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he has what I think several songs on this on um He does. Yeah, he does. Um uh, one in particular
1: that's a favorite of mine um was actually your cover which
2: is a cover of a Heatwave song called right. Star of a Story. Star of a story. Yeah, right. Yeah, um he resurrected that for 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 this record. Um and um yeah, George put his put his stamp on it, you know. He gave you that whole atmospheric thing that uh, similar to the heatwave version but of course with the Quincy Jones magic uh, surrounding it you know you can't you can't beat that ever yeah
1: you know? hmm. when you mentioned give me the night it, it reminds me of, of that time period um, which talk about 1980 specifically when the album came out um, and I remember there were two tracks that I could pretty much count on hearing uh, at at uh, When I would go dancing at that time period in 1980 in New York, and uh, actually, which was surprising in one sense because Love Times Love, um, yeah, I I don't, I, 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 yeah, I guess it's, it's, I think Give Me the Night is more of a a, like a hardcore dance track, but Love, Love Times Love would come on. And at the same time, I um, think I'm correct chronologically, it would also have been around the time of uh, the Brothers Johnson uh, stomp?
2: Stomp, oh, I think so. I think stomp might have been a little bit before this, but it was around, yeah. the, around that area, around that time, yeah.
1: Did you ever dance to uh, Love Comes Love? <laughs>
2: Uh, yeah, a lot. <laughs> How about give me the night? <laughs> to this day, you know, to this day. I, I play this record a lot. I, you know, really? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's just it's, it's in it's in constant rotation right here.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um let's talk about some of the other songs on there. We we have mentioned Patty Austin and um you know, I think the track that uh for me on, on this album where she's most obviously prominent. Uh, is uh, Moody's Mood. Moody's Mood for uh, Love. For Love, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was not, I was familiar with the song really only because of the Aretha Franklin version of it, mm-hmm. uh, also produced by Quincy Jones on uh, Hey Now Hey album oh, right. uh, in 1972. But I was not really familiar with the song before that. Were you, did you know Moody's Mood for Love before?
2: I did. I assume you did, knowing your background. Well, because well, because my mother used to always sing. Really? <laughs> yes, she did. Okay. <laughs> yes,
0: yeah,
2: she, she would always sing that song. I never knew what she was talking about, but I just remember her. She would always sing that. You know, So, yeah, I was I, I was familiar with that, for sure. <laughs> well,
1: let me ask you a question you don't have to answer. Was she sing it to your dad?
2: She would just sing it. You know, oh, okay. it, was, it was just a favorite song of hers. You know, it was just something that she yeah. always uh,
1: she was always singing it. You know, I okay. <laughs> I'm just thinking of you know because the song is about you know I'm in the mood for love, kind yeah. of. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Um, well, let's talk about Patty Austin. You know, and her her role in that. Um, again, uh, w- did, were you familiar with Patty Austin's voice prior to that? Had you heard any of her records? Oh yeah,
2: absolutely. absolutely. Absolutely, I had I had her uh, CTI records that were, were a few years before this,
1: right? I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Starting about like nineteen seventy six,
2: oh, I think. Definitely, yeah. I was a big Patty Austin fan.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, It's interesting because at some point, George Benson and 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 uh, Patty Austin were label mates. But I don't think at the same time as CTI. In fact, he just left CTI okay. bit,
2: um, when he joined Warner Brothers and she right. was at CTI at the time. And, of course, I mean, any, any um, Quincy Jones production is liable to have Patty Austin attached to it. Yes. You know, they're, they're, I call them his most valuable players that um, um, great feeling gains on keyboards, Paulino da Costa on percussion. Um, on this record... And for the, in that whole period, he was using John Robinson, the Rufus's drummer, mm-hmm. um, on, on on his recordings. Um, and people that, uh, Rod Timberton, of course, is a songwriter. Yes. Um,
0: Let's pause for a quick break. Then we'll return to David Nathan and Michael Lewis as they continue to discuss Give Me the Night, the classic 1980 album by George Benson.
2: Out now, saxophonist Jermaine Lockhart's new single, Perfect Timing. Executive produced by George Benson and produced by Preston Glass, Perfect Timing is a current UK soul music radio chart hit. The follow-up to Back to the Sunshine, Jermaine's first UK soul music top 20 single. Check out Jermaine Lockhart's new single, Perfect Timing, out now on Soul Music Records, available on all digital platforms. also on this record, there are a couple of songs by uh, the Brazilian uh, guitarist, composer, singer, Ivan Lenz. Mm. Um, uh, Love Dance. Yes. Um, and also dinner uh, Dinara, that instrumental, that wonderful instrumental that's on here. That's mm. an Ivan Lenz uh, Yvonne Linz song. He also wrote um, the song The Island, which Patty recorded on Correct Her Quest album. No, request. No, correct.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is interesting too. Is I was looking at, I was looking at some information related to this whole uh, album and, and and George Benson's career. And I, I don't know if you're aware, but it was absolutely his biggest. Um, you know, "Give Me the Night" was his biggest pop hit. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it was.
1: Yeah. And uh, I think it exposed him, as you said. I think the intention was to expose him to. A much wider audience, and um, I think that I can remember at the time there was some a little bit of like um, you know I don't say backlash, but more like from jazz purists oh, who yeah. followed um, George's career as a guitarist, and then you know of course you know with with hearing hear him as a, as a vocalist also, but I think there was a, some I, I can remember there was some you know uh, feeling that he had really deserted his jazz roots. And he was
2: now, he 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 gone mainstream. Right, right. But, you know, um, most musicians uh, who have pop, R&B hits like that suffer that same fate. I mean, the people said the same thing about Al Jarreau, you know, in the tour of the 80s when he's, his music started being more mainstream. Mm. You know, remember people felt like he had Sold out. Sold out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, you you know it's so funny when you talk to people like uh, uh, who who are accused of selling out, meaning selling out from their roots, their musical roots, so to speak. <laughs> you know, uh, a couple of people I remember when I've said that too. They say, "Well, that's fine as long as I'm selling out concerts." Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so let, let's talk some more about the specific tracks uh, we've talked about a little bit about Love Times Love and we've talked a little bit about Gimme the Night and also um, you know Moody's Mood for Lava and we touched upon a, the star of a story um, and, and you mentioned the the instrumental "Denora, Denora." Uh, um, some other songs on the album you'd like to focus on um
2: that's most of them um um, the instrumental off Broadway, uh, which actually is actually written by Brad Temperton, which sounds like you know that's that's George is probably his his guitar forte on the record is, is on that, that song, which uh, an interesting play on on Broadway. This is off Broadway, you know. Um, yeah. So he really gets to stretch out on that. Um, also, another another one of the. Those players, most valuable players that uh, Quincy uses is uh, Jerry Hay, who does the horn arrangements. You know, he came from uh, Sea Wind. Um, And he's, 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 he's on almost every Quincy recording in the 70s and 80s, late 70s and 80s, as a horn arrangement. So those horn arrangements you hear on Michael Jackson, on Rufus Master Jam, and all through this record. Uh, just he's 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 amazing. He's amazing a horn, horn arranger. Um, 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 Love dance the Yvonne Lynn song. Um, uh, it has lyrics by um, I think Alan, Alan and Marilyn Bergman, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, you know,
1: due to the lovely uh, aspects of technology that we have, I can actually confirm that for you right now. Let me see here. The, uh, actually written by Ivan Lins, Paul Williams, oh, Paul Williams, yeah, 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 okay, and someone called Vitor Martins, who I assume is probably Brazilian.
2: Yeah, that's uh that's his usual. Um, they they wrote the lyrics. I mean, the music, and uh, Paul yes. does the the um, the uh, the lyrics. Oh, I think the Bergmans. I think did. I, I'm thinking about the Patty Austin song, um, "The Island." They did the lyrics on that one. Right. Um, now,
1: an interesting point of reference given our previous uh, session about Rufus. Are you, from, are you aware that um, uh, Hawk, Hawk Walensky uh-huh.
2: wrote Midnight Love Affair? Midnight Love Affair, yes, absolutely. Yeah, that guy, I'm telling you, he, that, that guy's a, a ridiculous songwriter. He's mm. so many great songs along the way that other people recorded beyond Rufus, you know. Um, so yeah, I love to see him in the mix, also. Yes.
1: Well, one of the things that I, I, I realized as I was listening back to the album myself is um, that that there's a consistent. There is a real consistency. You can tell that this was not a oh let's do a track here, let's do a track there. It's like created as an album. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I think that uh, as as you may be aware, you know, prior in, in years prior, previous in previous years, <laughs> that's a better way of saying it, a lot of times people would not actually go in to make an album. They would just cut tracks and then they would end up as, with an album. And I think you, can, I think for this one, you can actually hear concerted, you know, working together to create a piece of work.
2: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. That's the one thing. And the second thing that um, I think uh, that I, I, I'm really aware of is how Quincy was like the go-to guy. At that point. I mm-hmm. mean, he was definitely coming off the off the wall, Brothers Johnson. I mean, he, you know, it's kind of like boom, 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 boom in a row. I mean, just no
2: just no stopping him. Right, right. And and with this being the first release on his his label, so to speak. This was his this was Quincy's label quest. Mm-hmm. And so of course he's gonna pull out all the stops to make sure that this is the strongest production that he can um, put out there. You know, it has to have the, that main, that big impact. And he did, they did it, you know, this is, it, it gets, no better than this. Yeah. You know,
1: you know, it's interesting too, Michael, is that I, I think, you know, there's certain producers who I think of as being like the chef, like they're the, they're the, they're the, they're the person that produces someone who puts all the ingredients together there are some producers, as we know, who are also songwriters uh, in their own right. Um, you know, I think of people like Tom Bell, uh, Philadelphia, and Gamble and Huff, who, you know, were producers as well as being songwriters. And with Quincy Jones, it's very much like he's the, like I say, like the master chef. He he puts all the ingredients together, the, you know, helps create the song selection caught is like the casting guy for the background singers and mm-hmm. putting all the things in the mix that creates
2: this great, uh, piece of work. Yeah. He, he, he picks the best, the best people for the job, you know, or there's the, the vocal arrangers. Um, I think probably a lot of the vocal arrangements was done by Rod Temperton. Cause that was one of his, his forte also besides song. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, um again uh lee rittenauer and paulino da costa and people like that richard t is on this record uh herbie hancock
1: yeah i was gonna say we can't forget herbie hancock
2: yeah and, right um so i mean the, the the quality of the musicians cannot be beat on this recording you know uh and it's all pulled together and it's the strongest package
1: yeah and, you know, in context, you know, it turned out to be George Benson's biggest um, be- best-selling, I mean, after Breezing, it, it, it was actually, I, I believe, his best-selling album uh, ever, you in, know, in his whole career. Mm. And, um, you know, led to his first uh, international touring. I mean, he did tour a little bit, I think, in 1977. Um, he came to Britain, I know, and um, did some shows there. But that was the first time he had been in Britain for about four years. And when he was there previously, he had played at Ronnie Scott's Jazz Club. So he was already, by 77, expanding his international audience. And then, of course, here came came Give Me the Night, just kind of took it all the way out. Uh, And, uh, you know, George Benson, you know, for many years has been an international major performer and, you know, recording artist. And I don't know that that was necessarily... Predictable for someone who started out essentially as a jazz as a jazz musician. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of other people from the from that era who who really took it all that way. I mean, even I think it was as recently as last year, George Pence, George Benson performed at the Royal Albert Hall. I think it was here in Britain. Mm-hmm. And it sells out every time. Every time he, I mean, selling out the shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, and and so that's really it's it's just an interesting thing to to see how his career has developed uh, t- to the point that he's he basically is a household name for many many
2: people. Mm-hmm. That's true, and uh, across generations also, you know, because because like I said, my um, I, my father listened to George Benson, and um, when I was you know. Knee high to a chicken.
1: I knew you were gonna say that. Knee high to a what?
2: <laughs> knee high to a chicken.
1: <laughs> oh, I knew you were going to say chicken. Okay, okay,
2: okay,
1: I thought you were gonna say knee high to a grasshopper, but oh well.
2: Uh, no, that's Stevie's lyric and I was out oh, of <laughs> Um
1: just a couple of other things. Uh, around that time period, did you get a chance to see George Benson in concert?
2: I did. I did uh, um, several times. Uh, I, m- most memorably was the show that he did at uh, Universal with uh, Minnie Riperton opening. Oh, can yeah. you
1: tell us more about that?
2: Oh, man, it was just, uh, that was just that the, was just the most wondrous night ever. And then for them to come out, they did a couple of duets um, during at during the show. He, you know, she opened the show, of course, and then he brought her out, brought her back to do. They did Misty. Wow. It was just 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 a. Uh, You're talking uh, about the standard Misty. Standard Misty, yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that would have been worth oh, man. that would have been <laughs> worth flying oh, to. Where, where were you in LA at the time?
2: Universal Amphitheater. Yeah, yeah. That's when it was out, when it was outdoors before they covered it. Yes. Yeah. That would have been worth flying to LA to see. Yeah. That was a, that was a great oh. most, that was my most memorable show. Really? Yeah. 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 Yes.
1: Well, I think uh, the thing else that we should say about this album other than that it is a, a a classic. No,
2: it, if you don't have it,
1: <laughs> okay. we, we used to say, Michael, you know, as you know, having worked in record shops like I did many years uh-huh. ago, uh, and my record shop days were a little bit before yours, but nonetheless, but we used to say, go to your local record shop and pick up a copy. Uh-huh. Uh, no to give me the night, and now we say. Go to Spotify and stream yeah. or go to Spotify and download or go to wherever. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, that is the beauty of, mod- I mean, I'm, I'm being a little uh, silly about it, but, you know, the beauty of modern technology allows me and you and whoever to buck along the street or <laughs> sit at home and listen to this music at, at you know, literally at the click of a click of a switch.
2: Yeah. yeah, I had to run errands today, so I just, you know, had to playing in the car while I was uh, doing what I had to do. And, good, good.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you again, Michael. Thanks for choosing this album. Um, I mean, you know, we last one we did, was, as we know, was uh, the um, uh, something at the Savoy, and uh, we're, I guess we're on a roll here, right?
2: Yeah, yeah I, I like this. I like this concept.
1: Okay. All, All right. right. Well, we'll have to see what we can come up with next, right? Great. All right. Well, good talking to you, Michael, and thank you for your observations and comments about you know this great album. um, And um, you know, love times love. That's right.
2: There you go. All right, man. See ya. See you later. Thanks, David and Michael.
0: Please don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on your favourite podcast platform. And visit us for breaking news and daily updates about your favourite soul and R&B artists over at soulmusic.com. I'm Bethany Dawson, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time on My Classic Soul.